Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. So, Wendy, you remember college, right? I sure do. Okay, so... That wasn't that long ago. No, not quite that long ago. So we're not ancient yet. But what was your favorite urban legend or or story about the University of Wisconsin? Probably the legend of Tunnel Bob. Ah, Tunnel Bob. Lived in the steam tunnels beneath the city and people would, you know, report stories of seeing him lurking around and stuff like that. You know, actually, one time I took an adventure into the steam tunnels underneath the city because they had left a a manhole open. Oh, man. So I went in through the manhole, into the tunnels, and uh, saw a sleeping bag in the steam tunnels because it was like February. Somebody was living down there. Also saw a half-eaten rat. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that person had eaten the rat, but it was by the sleeping Because it could have been another rat. Any kind of animal. Manhole was open, so a bigger animal could have gotten and eaten the rat. But I'd like to think it was Tunnel Bob who was mowing down on rats. Oh, sad if he has to eat rats. No, actually, Tunnel Bob um, has been revealed. He's a real guy. He just likes going down to the steam tunnels. And uh, actually, recently, I did a Google search, and I found a story someone had gone down and interviewed him and stuff like that so yeah he just is a guy that loves the steam tunnels so he's not some like he's not a chud like a cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller (laughs) but we (laughs) didn't know that when we were in college so he was a very like you know mysterious entity that well with youtube and the internet i mean everything really has changed like information with snopes Snopes. even even snopes Uh, it ruins all the fun right Remember the urban legend that if like your roommate killed himself, that you would get A's for the rest of the semester? Oh, yeah, that's right. You just automatically pass your classes. Yeah, so I was always doing whatever I could <laughs> to make my roommate sad. Oh, no. It's always like, you're not a good person. That's terrible, Your Mike. parents don't love you. No. That's, hey, it never worked, though, so I never got straight A's uh, in college. That was the only way I was going to get a 4.0 wow. in college. Well, I haven't heard any legends about uh, where we are currently, but I imagine we're so close to Disneyland. That's right. Because we're in Anaheim, California right now. We're in Anaheim for the NAM show, uh, which is the uh, National Association of Music Merchants. And so it's all different. It's all like instruments and cool speakers and PAs. And I haven't seen anything besides a haunted piano. I did see a haunted piano. Sweet. Uh, it is kind of a haunted piano, though, because it's playing somebody's like last performance. It was recorded. Yeah. And then, like it's the like even how far they move their fingers. Yeah, that's and stuff cool. Like that. That's neat. Um, the MIDI can capture that, and then the piano plays itself. So that is pretty sweet. And we're right and next to Disneyland. Like I can see Walt's frozen body from here. I saw Mickey peeking over the wall. <laughs> he was looking at us. Um, we did see some ukuleles that were alien head ukuleles and yes. some skulls. Lots of skulls, of course. Right. So there's some fun little weirdness mm-hmm. there but mostly it's just been rock and roll and lots yes. and lots of guitars yeah lots of people playing uh you walk into the conference hall and it's just a cacophony of sound it is it's funny so everybody that's here like works at a music store works for a music manufacturer or something like that or is in a band so imagine walking in the guitar center if you ever have and you'll hear like one or two people like just 
playing some Randy Rhodes guitar solo or whatever. Now imagine walking in to a thousand music stores at the same time and everybody's playing guitar. Yeah. It's like it's kind of how it sounds. <laughs> it's a conference hall that's the size of, I don't know, several football fields. <laughs> Easily. And it's just filled with every instrument imaginable. And I mean that. And they're all being played simultaneously, not in concert. Right. So it's, it's in, intense. I've not quite seen it. I haven't seen a virtual tuba yet. Like I haven't seen like a, <laughs> a MIDI, virtual. I haven't seen like a MIDI tuba. Okay. Uh, so no, not every instrument. That's about the only thing I haven't seen. But otherwise, anything you can imagine. Yeah. People are creating it to make music with, and so we've been checking that out the past few days, uh, and playing too, and having fun playing music, playing our paranormal songs yep. to the podcast for these weirdos out here. Yeah. Thanks to everybody who came out on Thursday night, and uh, we're getting ready for another show tonight, actually in Los Angeles. So. That's right. So we're talking to you on Sunday, yes. uh, January twenty eighth. And, you know, we always complain about the weather. Today we are staring at palm trees and yeah, it's like 75 beautiful. degrees. So we cannot complain today. And we shall not anybody complain. who we meet tonight that is listening to the podcast for the first time today, it was lovely to meet you. There we go. You're speaking in the future, from my, the future? Yeah. I'm, I'm, my past is speaking to my future. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a little time travel then here. That's right. So uh, anyway, it was a great time. <laughs> it was a great time. <laughs> the meeting show was you. a huge success. Oh, so, my unbelievable! Gosh. Incredible. Okay. Anyway, we've been having a great time in California, and I had a lot of fun interviewing Matthew Swain oh, again. Oh yay! Uh, who did the Haunted Rock and Roll book? We interviewed him for like right. a, you know one of our first like twenty or thirty podcasts, like very back in two thousand and fifteen, early two thousand fifteen. Right, and very appropriate for the weekend of of all this rock and roll music yes. we're surrounded by. And so he also wrote a book on haunted colleges. And uh, since school's back in session and the kids are back, uh, you know, uh, skipping class, causing trouble and mayhem at the universities across America, we thought, what a perfect time to talk about haunted universities. And so uh, that's what we talk about with Matthew Swain. And he's got some really interesting things to say. So let's go to the tape. Joining us for a second time is author Matthew Swain. The last time we talked to Matt, we were talking about haunted rock and roll. But I tell you, since we just saw the students come back to the University of Wisconsin here in Madison, I was thinking about when I was at UW and how we'd like to talk about ghost stories and everything like that in the wintertime when there was nothing to do when we came back for the second semester of the year. So uh, Matt also wrote a book called Haunted Colleges, and we wanted to get some of his favorite ghost stories from different colleges across the United States. Matt, thank you for coming back. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm doing great. All right. Well, the last time we talked to you uh, was about haunted rock and roll. When did you get into uh, you know, checking out haunted colleges, or what made you interested in finding the ghost stories of different universities? So un unfortunately, that's a long story because it goes back to my birth, uh, I was born on Halloween. Okay. So that so what happened was uh, when I was uh, working as a newspaper reporter for the Daily Herald. It's a, a small paper uh, in Central Pennsylvania. Okay. I'm I'm born on Halloween, so I get a lot of the Halloween stories that come up. And and trust me, I love Halloween. I, I usually refer to it as the season of Matt. And <laughs> great. Well, it's your birthday. Yeah, it is my birthday. So I was. I was always looking for a good Halloween feature story, and so one year I decided to do ghost stories around that area. Uh, any type of folklore, ghost lore that I could find, urban legends, I was going to write a, a, a 
you know, an 800, 1,000 word feature story about that. But what happened was I, I got about halfway into it and I realized I didn't have enough material. So at that point, I start, I, you know, I was a Penn State, a former Penn State student. So I remembered there were ghost stories on the Penn State campus. So I started researching, started to talk to people, and I found a whole bunch of stories about uh, the ghost stories of Penn State. And for some reason, and of course, now we, we sort of know because of all the interest in the paranormal and the supernatural, after I wrote that feature story, people stopped me on the streets, they talked to me in bars, wherever I was, they were t- telling me their ghost stories and they were telling me how much they loved that, that, that story. So that always you know, kind of sat in the back of my head as a writer, as someone who wants to, you know, I, you know, I was always, I wanted to write books, so I always thought, that seems like a really good, interesting story to do, ghost stories of universities. So this was back in the internet, before the internet era, where I was really, I would wait around for every October for the student newspapers and the newspapers in the universities, in those university towns to start writing about their ghost stories. And I would collect them. And I'm, I'm kind of a uh, info pack rat. I just am always collecting stories and and articles. So that's really how I got into writing about uh, the universities, the haunted universities. But I got to say, the, the whole time that I was writing these, uh, you know, you know, initially I'm writing these books like I just want to write something interesting and compelling. But I found it fascinating for one really big reason, and that's I always consider people go to colleges and universities to become more rational, to lose the superstition, to take up science. And yet I would almost guarantee you that uh, acre for acre, universities and university campuses are probably more haunted, have more ghost stories than battlefields or castles or anything like that. That's what always intrigued me. That's why I kept going with this. Uh, and I started out actually writing about Penn State ghost stories. I self-published a book on that. I self-published a book on uh, the ghost stories of the University of Pittsburgh, you know, kept it in Pennsylvania. And then Llewellyn wanted a bigger book. Uh, so I wrote uh, America's Haunted Universities. So that's kind of a, a long-winded answer of how I got there. Well, that's perfect, though. I mean, what I liked is when you said you were talking about the pre-internet days. Mm-hmm. And what I think is cool there is that you're, you're talking about how, you know, before you could just look online for something, you had to really wait until Halloween came around or go mm-hmm. into like an archive, especially the student paper. And I still find that. So I just wrote a haunted tour of the University of Wisconsin last year. Okay. And going into finding the stories and finding everything, if you want to get uh, an archive, of, you can find the archive of a Madison newspaper. You can find an archive of a Milwaukee newspaper. You can find a, I can find an archive of a Waukesha newspaper, small town, yeah, like a like yeah. a small city in Wisconsin, back to 1850. But if I want to find the stuff of the student newspaper um, back past 2005 or 2006, you still got to go to the place. Right. You know, right. you still got to go there and, and you still got to find like those individual kind of uh, news stories and, and, and look into and especially Halloween's when it all takes off. So, you know, what would you say that was the first time that you 
found a story that you're like, oh man, I can totally make a book out of this. Do you remember that particular story where like you had that moment like, no, I can turn this into something really cool. Do you remember what that story was? I, I do. And it was, it's actually from the, uh, from Penn State. There was, and this is, this is one of those ghost stories that's based on an actual historic fact. But in uh, the library on Penn State, Petit Library, there was a murder in the book. There's a, the students all refer to the area as stacks, and it's just row after row. It's 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 a maze of uh, bookshelves that just goes you know 100 200 yards. It's it's really amazing, and there was actual an actual murder in those stacks. And then after that uh, that incident, there were reports of people feeling like a cold breeze on their neck. There was actually someone who saw an apparition there, and uh, I read that one and I thought there's something there to it. And there was another right down the, the uh, mall from Petit, there's a theater called Schwab Auditorium. And Schwab Auditorium has at least three ghosts. And this is where it got interesting for me because I approached this as a journalist, as a what I consider an open-minded skeptic. Sure. I, uh, that's how I approached this. And what I found there was usually when I was investigating those first couple stories, I would actually try to find people who witnessed it. And what I found more often than not was, well, my friend, when my friend went there, his brother's roommate said that he, but, you know, you would get these classic urban legend type things. Right. But at, at Schwab Auditorium, what you found, what I found was that there were people going to the press with their own stories. These were firsthand accounts. So there, to me, as a writer, as someone who, you know, I like to write feature stories, there's that narrative tension that gets in the reader. Well, and, and I, I go through it, too, is when I'm writing this. You know, I might start out as a skeptic. Then I become somewhat of a believer. Then I, you know, don't know which way to go. And I think that's what really drives those stories. And that's what I found so fascinating about those two in particular that I thought there's enough material here. There definitely was enough material and that the material was interesting enough that I thought I could, you know, get a publisher interested. You know, interesting you're talking about a, a murder that happened in the stacks in, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, in, in Penn State. So when exactly did that ha- did that occur? Do you know, like the, the era or the decade or the year? Yeah, there, it was 1969, I believe, over Thanksgiving break. And it, it was it was, you know, devastating for for Penn State and for the Penn State community. And I can just imagine uh, the parents too uh, having to relive that all the time. So, it, it, you know, it was a real a real thing. And there there were two or three murders in on campus but that was the one that really stuck out for that that's interesting because you know in in wisconsin too we did we did we had an attack in mm-hmm. uh our memorial library here we had an axe attack in the early 80s wow it was not there was no premeditation i mean there was no kind of uh it, it was like a really like a random crazy person axe attack uh, mm-hmm. To a poor girl who was working in what we call the stacks. Yeah, and so uh, you know we had the, the the same kind of thing, and and around the late sixties and early seventies, there were several murders like unsolved. Mm-hmm. We don't know if they're crimes of passion or anything like that. Several like murders uh, at the University of Wisconsin that 
just like, of course, nobody ever talks about, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But uh, right. just like right. very mysterious things in, in that era. And some of the um, haunted activity that we have around here or, you know, stories, like like you said, I think the open-minded skeptic's the best way to look at it. Because if you're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's ghosts, then the next question is, well, prove it, buddy. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it's yeah. hard. One. So you, you try to remain on the, here's what people have seen here's what I know kind of thing. And so was that murder that you guys had there, was that solved at least? And that person eventually uh, faced justice? Well, that's the really interesting part about this story. So embedded in this ghost story is a legend that says that she will, that this, the student will remain in the stacks until her murder was solved. And it never was solved. But about, I'm going to say about five, maybe 10 years ago, a, I guess he would be, or uh, he would be an amateur detective, uh, wrote a book about the case in which he, uh, he puts out a possible suspect for it. And since then, the, the library, I can tell you, has been pretty quiet. And I've checked every single year for stories. So that's, it was never solved. Uh, but this, a few people have kind of speculated who the killer was, and you know there were there were rumors going around that it was Ted Bundy, because Ted Bundy's dad taught at a nearby university, Bucknell. But you know, I I tried to check that, and the timelines don't really match up. Sure. Well, I mean, of course, and Ted Bundy makes everything salacious, you know, yeah. like as- associating anything with a, the major serial killer like that. I mean, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, goes through college campuses. And, and that's the kind of legend, like, you know, that urban legend that there'll be an email chain that said, oh, somebody saw in Maury Povich, a psychic that mm-hmm. said on Halloween this year, you know, there'll be a murder at a Big Ten university. Right. Well, that also, that story also made me think, about why these stories seem to be so quote unquote sticky. Why, you know, the ghost stories in, in the University of Wisconsin, and I know the ghost stories in Penn State can go back a century. Uh, so, why do they stick around? And that became interesting for me. And there are, as you go through the, the ghost lore of various universities, you come up with a lot of themes. And as you point out with the University of Wisconsin and with Penn State, with a lot of other ones, uh, there's this idea of suicides and murders crop up quite a bit. And my theory is now that I look at those stories as cautionary tales. And, you know, no matter what anyone says about universities, they're actually very safe areas. Um, You you know, when you have a a student body of 80,000 people and you have one homicide in how many years, that's extremely safe. So what I think is people keep telling these stories because they almost serve as a warning sign when the paper isn't full of homicides and it isn't full of of crime. They kind of serve as a a way for students to let other students know, know that these dangers do exist, not to lull yourself into complacency. There's a, there's a whole different level to some of these stories that I just find pretty fascinating. You know, I, I think that really is a that's an excellent point. And, you know, Madison here, we're absolutely spoiled with safety, I mean, I'd say. I remember, mm-hmm. so I went to school in the mid-1990s, so 95 to 99, and I used to work at the student newspaper, the Badger Herald, um, or we had two student newspapers, and I was working at the Badger Herald was one of them. 
And so I remember in 1990, oh, this must have been in the beginning of 1996 or at the beginning of the like the fall semester in 1996. Somebody like we we celebrated a year without any homicides in Madison, so there are no murders for an entire year, right? Right. The next day, a student gets killed execution style. Oh my gosh! Like on the main drag. Uh, like over a drug deal gone bad or something like oh. that. Like in a like and not even you know, so not even some kind of sketchy thing, not even I mean, this is a, like he gets like absolutely like executed. And right. you, you could feel I'd I'd say that the tension on campus for the next week or two or whatever, mm-hmm. like everybody was shaken by the fact mm-hmm. that we had just celebrated how safe this place. Hey, how safe is everything? And then yeah. this isn't just some I mean this isn't just this is an, an execution happens. Like the next day. <laughs> and right. and so I think your point there, where you're saying that not only the, these ghost stories serve as as things that like, spook us and scare us and they're also reminders that even though like we're we shouldn't get into a false sense of security uh, mm-hmm. on campus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and interestingly, there was another case probably in the, I want to say the late 80s, uh, we had a sniper on campus who shot uh, and killed uh, an, another student. And yet I could not find any evidence of a ghost story there. And so, again, I start thinking, why do we tell one ghost story? And why, if, if these are all just you know, kind of made up by the student body spontaneously. Why Why are there two stories and only one creates ghost stories? And the idea I came up with there is that uh, this sniper thing was so bizarre, so outrageous, that there's no way really to conceptualize a warning for that. There's, there's just, it's just not going to happen. Whereas the story about the murder in the stacks embeds this idea of, Okay, don't go out alone. You know, go. With, that's all kind of uh, uh, pushed into that story. I think that's a great point, and and that's something that we don't think about or talk about too much is the kind of events that seem to generate more ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Like like a sniper attack is you know that's almost like a terrorist event, mm-hmm. and you know a, a terror event does not you know you don't see, you don't hear the same ghost stories after a terror event even if more people die or whatever that you do hear about like a crime of passion or right. a murder or uh, like in Chicago the St. Valentine's Day massacre and things mm-hmm. like that like you you know like so gangland violence that breeds ghost stories gangland violence breeds ghost stories while uh, certain kind of things seem almost I don't know if they're taboo for ghost stories. Like, so I mean, think about the uh, the event that just happened in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, right. the, the, the that I mean, that horrible tragedy. That guy shooting up a, a, a concert. You know, that's the kind of thing where it almost seems like if somebody said that they saw a ghost or heard phantom gunshots or whatever, like mm-hmm. even in a couple of years, you wouldn't just be like ah too soon. You'd also be like I know you know there's a a real kind of discomfort attached with, I think, these kind of horrific events rather than events that we can kind of wrap our head around. Like you said, don't go to the stat, you know, don't go out in the middle of the night. Don't get involved with criminals. Uh, You know, there can be a warning associated with those ghost stories that random acts of violence don't seem to have. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And with with universities, you have an added complexity in that I consider it a transitory population. You have a class coming in 
every semester and a class graduating every semester. So these ghost stories serve as uh, almost, in my opinion, a kind of community building. And the community is going to be built very carefully, and you're not going to go outside of the norms of that. Uh, the, the story simply won't stick unless they get everyone's buy-in. That's kind of how I see it. Um, and, you know, I, Penn State, Wisconsin is not uh, unusual in the number of, well, I, I think actually the Big Ten schools tend to have be a little more haunted than other ones. Okay. But, but. I do notice that through it almost seemed like as I was writing this book, there was a template to some of these stories, right? Okay. That all, all the universities did have the cautionary tales. If you look at and they also had history stories that I thought were almost like history lessons in Penn State. There's the ghost of uh, old Coley, the, the mule that haunts the campus. But in Notre Dame, you have uh, the story of the Gipper who uh, died tragically, you know, win one for the Gipper. But he supposedly haunts, I think it's Washington Hall there, and there was one one story that says he's riding a horse through campus. There's all kinds of uh, interesting stories like that. And I think what that does is that gives the ability for the students to tell those stories, even if, if it's a wink-wink, nudge-nudge kind of ghost story. They're still, they, they still are creating the sense of community. Everyone has the inside joke. Everyone learns a little bit about the history of, of the university. And you can embed that history lesson in about two minutes, you know, telling that story. Like, so the, the Gipper was a football player, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, so he was a, g- a great football player and he, under the coaching of Newt Rockney, or was Newt Rockney a player? Like, I'm not completely familiar with the Notre Dame story. I saw the, I saw Newt Rockney All-American or whatever yeah. you know, when I was like Newt 10. Ro- yeah, Newt, Newt, I think, was the, the um, coach okay. who used that story to, to motivate the, the uh, team. And, and, you know, and famously, famously the, in the, they made a movie of it. Uh, and this is so this was football, right? Mm-hmm. And so the idea was that at Notre Dame, like it's part of the great Notre Dame fighting Irish tradition. And, you know, the great coach like Newt Rockney and uh, one of his best players, the Gipper, tragically dies and then he uses the win one for the Gipper as a way to get you know get everybody around the team right. motivated to, you know to win the big game. And then the movie the Gipper is played by Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. who eventually. So that's why, you know, they used to uh, derisively call him the Gipper as president. I guess. Yeah. But but you know but that whole that's so that was, I just wanted to explain that to the people who may not have heard it. But that's a that's a great way to put it too. Because, okay, so the Gipper rides a majestic horse through Washington yeah. Hall at, at Notre Dame. So that in that ghost story uh, encompasses the, the majesty of the Notre Dame football program, the history of the university. It instills mm-hmm. pride in the person listening and telling the story, that kind of thing. So, wait, you, you said there was Muley at Penn State? Oh, uh, there's uh, Old Coley. Okay, Old was, Coley. He was literally the first uh, employee of... Of Penn State, and at that point, it was called the uh, the Farm School, and they brought Old Coley to take limestone from a little quarry at the edge of campus up to the site where Old Main Building uh, is now. And he became, and also Old Coley would work out on the fields with the Penn State students. Early on, Penn State students would work at the farm at the school's farm. 
And sometimes the university would loan out their uh, students to uh, surrounding farms. So Old Coley worked there, and he became, really what he became is, is the first mascot. I've always teased everyone that Penn State could be the Penn State jackasses, not the Nittany Lions. <laughs> but I, I, I mentioned that in front of a guy who owned a mule farm, and then he told me the difference between a mule and a jackass. So that joke doesn't land as well. Fair enough. Wait, what, wait, real quick, what is the difference between a mule and a jackass, just so I know? Oh, so I think a mule is uh, a horse and a, and a donkey. Uh, they crossbreed those two. So it's sterile. I think that's it. And then a jackass is just a, a donkey. Oh, just a donkey? Okay. okay. Yeah, Fair I enough. think that's how it works. But, but we can verify that later. That's not, but, I, think, I think you're right. So after Old Coley died, they preserved the skeleton. And then... Throughout, every time they would move this skeleton around campus, these ghost stories would start. At one point, Old Coley was in Watts Hall, and the students said they could hear, you know, the braying of a mule and hoof print or uh, the sound of hooves coming down the hall. And then some other times that people actually said they saw this ghost. You know, I go to work very early on campus. I'm never afraid of walking into the ghost of a mule but <laughs> right. what i what i think this story really does is you know it took me about a minute and 30 seconds to tell you that story but you get a little idea of the history how how old the university is uh you get a little idea about how blue collar uh hard working you know this idea of service is really important to penn state students and so that kind of get in, gets embedded in that story this idea of these students working on the school farm, going out to other farmers. All those all those things are subtly embedded in that, that little story. So, you know, there are a lot of people when I say that I write these stories about ghost stories at university, they think it's kind of funny, you know, and it's... But I have come to really appreciate those. We can debate back and forth whether these ghost stories are real or not, and I have some ideas on that, too. But I've learned to really appreciate these things as almost like this grassroots type of community building, you know, storytelling. I like the way you're putting that there, too, in that the lore around a college, around a university becomes part of its, you know, it really does become part of the history and it makes people feel attached to it. It makes people feel uh, some kind of connection to each other, a bond to each mm-hmm. other as they're sharing this experience. Because, I mean, the whole thing, I mean, people who are alumni of something are always very like, oh, you're an alumni. You know, they have that <laughs> they have that shared connection. And I think it's not only because they shared like maybe the same professors or maybe the same classes or maybe they stayed in the same dorm 10 or 15 years apart. Yeah. But there's also a shared mythology that goes mm-hmm. along with this. As I've been working on ghost tours throughout Wisconsin and Minnesota, uh, in Waukesha, we have Carroll College that has, you know, a couple of buildings there right. where everybody, you know, they, they tell haunted stories. In Minnesota, there's a haunted bridge at the University of uh, M- Minnesota at, in Minneapolis that has, uh, you know, it's always urban legends about ghosts of suicides and stuff like that. Yep. And, you know, those kind of things really do create uh, the kind of mythology that connects people because... You can make a, you know, it's it's like you you know you can make a joke with that person about that ghost story or about the 
you know, what happens after a touchdown at the football game mm-hmm. or, you know, things like that. And so these ghost stories are just an extra layer of connection and history among the university. And I like that. And I'm thinking about what, so you uh, had to research, you know, probably a ton of universities and colleges when you were working on your book. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm interested in a couple of the stories that you heard that you were like either taken aback by or um, that seemed to break that kind of, you know, shared history mold that you were just like, oh, that's a that's a weird one. What which ones took you aback? Well, I will tell you, and again, this is the one from Penn State, and this one took me aback because, again, I, I at this point, as I was writing this, uh, I really look at it as folklore, and uh, I didn't give much, you know, as as much as I want to be an open minded skeptic, I saw this as more. Uh, folklore and, and sort of a mythology, but there's a building on campus at the Penn State campus, which is, I think, the oldest standing building on the campus called Old Botany. And when I wrote about Old Botany for my first book on Penn State ghost stories and for America's haunted universities, it, it to me just was cut from the ghost lore cloth. And there's uh, across the street from Old Botany is George Atherton, who was a president of the United, uh, president of Penn State. His graves there, and so you know, if I was going to consult universities on how not to have uh, a haunted campus, I would warn them not to have a grave on campus because that is just that's just bait for this stuff. But uh, there's an urban legend that Old Botany is haunted by George Atherton's wife. Uh, and she, the urban legend states that she was was um, buried in the attic. And it, it's just a crazy story, but they got spread. And, you know, uh, I debunked it and a bunch of other people debunked it. Um, but what happened was, after I wrote this book, and this is usually what happens after you write the book, then you get the really good stories. But, <laughs> right. You're like, oh, you come know. on, you couldn't have been a couple months before my deadline. <laughs> exactly. So... This was a few months after the book was out. I had a friend say, my friend read your book. He has to talk to you. So I, I met this guy, and he was, a, he was a former custodian. He had retired from Penn State as a custodian. And he told me, uh, because I basically said, well, you know, old botany is just kind of, a, these are just urban legends. And he told me some stories that were just went beyond the pale of, a, a normal type of folklore, ghost lore type of thing, because he, it was a personal first-person account. Uh, at one point, he was uh, vacuuming the hall, one of the halls, and it's a it's a pretty small building. And just as he finished, uh, he turned the vacuum cleaner off. He heard this tremendous crash, and he said he could hear get, uh, glass breaking, shattering. And he figured someone broke in, and so he ran down the hall to the noise, and he said as soon as he opened up the door, and he could hear, he could still hear this kind of clamor uh, behind the door, uh, as soon as he opened the door, suddenly it just stopped, and it was just an office. There was no glass around. There was no, uh, he said it sounded like beakers and test tubes breaking. Mm. So it was just an, just a regular office. Well, then I looked into it. And I think I'm pretty sure that that area that he was telling me about was a place where they had labs and lab equipments 
a lab equipment way back in the day. So, and you know, I don't know whether he would have known that information or not, but he told me he was so freaked out by the, the kind of activity there that he asked to get put on another building to, to clean another building. Cause he was just, it, he said it was, it was nearly constant. So here's a case where that makes me, you know, step back and try as a writer to make sure you're putting everything on the table for people. You're not just approaching the material as, as a joke or, or community building, but you know, there are people that have experiences and you have to be honest and you have to respect that because this guy was clearly moved by whatever happened to him there. Now, could it have been natural explanations? Could it have been, right. you know, it, it, there's a, a lot of, I'm not just immediately saying it's true, but I'm saying there, there's this phenomenon that happens to people and they believe it. And he was one of these people that, that kind of, conv- he was an honest guy and convinced me that he definitely experienced something, maybe a lot of things in, in that area. How many uh, you think of the, uh, you know, when you were interviewing and talking to people about story, and like you said, when you were working on the book, you were trying to get first person experiences, um, if you could, right? And that's always, that's always a trick, is to try to get first person experiences, because that's always a better story than when somebody, uh, you know, says like, well, I heard this happened, and you're like, okay, well, anything can happen. So... I mean, about how many of the things in your book do you think you were able to get stuff from people who actually, um, you know, ha- had an experience like that, like that guy you were talking about mm-hmm. that um, you're like, oh, man, he was so affected by what happened to him. He's like, yeah, I'm uh, I'd, I'd like to work somewhere else, please. Right. Right. I would say and, and this is just a figure off the top sure. of my head. I, I hate when people say, well, eight out of ten, you know, they just <laughs> kind of right. pull that out. But I would say there's probably about uh, 20% of the stories that I have in there are people who have actual encounters, not just stories of people having encounters. But especially what I tried to do is use either people that would talk to me or people that would talk to the press, because I think that's there's a there's a real ridicule factor that people are afraid of. That if you go to the press, uh, I think that. That has that, that gives me a little bit of idea, of, first of all, who it is and then the honesty involved. But I remember a story in, um, I think it was University of Maryland, and I can't remember the name of the building, but uh, this, this woman said that she had always been a skeptic and that she experienced, at one point, I think she heard uh, music playing. And, and from what I understand, the, the phenomena that she experienced in that place was exactly what the ghost lore was about. But she, you know, did everything to, to debunk it. She couldn't, and she actually fled the building, as I recall. So, and, and then she, you know, when she reported this to the press, she basically said, you know, I used to be a skeptic and I'm not anymore. I think that's pretty powerful stuff when someone has experienced something that they're now completely uh, opposite of the, the view they had. I mean, it doesn't work in politics that often. No, right. <laughs> but, you know, when it, when it changes somebody into a believer, obviously, um, you know, there's something to it because it's affected their lives in a, you know, in a huge way. And if they're willing to talk and mm-hmm. share, I mean, I think that's the, I mean, that's the problem with anything that's anonymous. They're like, well, I'm afraid to tell people because I think I'm crazy. It's like, yeah. yes, 
but it's the fact that you're willing to tell people that makes that helps us believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're making extraordinary claims, um, somebody's got to stand behind it. Yeah, exactly. So when you're thinking about the ghost stories and stuff, like you said, you felt like the Big Ten campuses might be more haunted than some of the other places. I do. Did you find certain kind of ghost stories in certain places versus, like, so some schools or some kind, like like state schools might have different kinds of stories than uh, community colleges might have different kinds of stories than big name private universities. Did you find any trends as the type of school to the type of story? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so glad you brought this up because one of the things I, I found a couple different things. Uh, one of the things I found is there's a regional difference to some of the stories. Now, they might, believe it or not, I found small campuses had just as many ghost stories, just as interesting uh, ghost stories, and a lot of different kinds of ghost stories. They were pretty much the same. Like if I pulled them out, you wouldn't be able to tell me well, this one is at Ohio State, and this one is at, you know, Juniata College nearby, near where I live. So there wasn't that much difference there. But what I did find was that, for instance, in the Midwest, there are a lot of stories which I think are really stories to embed in type of, a type of behavior in a student. I think they're almost like morality tales. And the one story, and I'm going to try to remember, I think it was in Iowa State or the University of Iowa, there was a building where the legend had it that there were three roommates, three female roommates, and over the week they all went out on dates and they were all madly in love with their boyfriend until on this Saturday they find out that they've been dating the same guy. So they go up to the top floor and they throw themselves out. Okay? That's a it's a it's a story and so these three students or these three ghosts will return and visit uh, when roommates are having squabbles or disagreeing and they try to they'll appear anytime there are arguments between friends or roommates. Now that to me has a very Midwestern vibe to it. Oh absolutely. I mean what I would I was hoping that the ghost of the guy that got to date all three of the girls, like he comes to the <laughs> men at Ohio State and teaches them. He's like, if you say the right incantation, he'll come and teach you his ways. Yeah, yeah. The guy somehow got off. Uh, lickety split <laughs> on this one. But so so that's that has a, a really a Midwestern vibe to it. But then, and I think this one is in Strong Hall. University of Tennessee, I'm, you're probably going to get a lot of angry alumni because I'm messing up these stories. Okay, good. But that means the alumni are listening. That that's sounds that's all me. that matters. Come and get it. But, but this one is the ghost appears to uh, the female students if they're guilty of unladylike behavior. Uh, and so that to me has a very, you know, kind of Southern Gothic idea to it or attitude around it. So there are all these different regions that seem to have ghost stories that reflect the the norms and the, the culture of those those regions and what they adhere to. So I noticed that. The other reason I think that the Big Ten has a lot more ghost stories or, you know, seems to be more prolific in these ghost stories is because those those universities arose pretty much right after the Civil War 
when spiritualism was was pretty big. Mm-hmm. So I think that may have that may have given people a reason to retain those stories. That's just a theory. That's absolutely right, though, because Lincoln had his uh, was it land grant? I mean, there was a certain thing that there's a, like so. On the University of Wisconsin campus, we got Bascom Hill, which is Bascom Hill is where the university is, and so we have a big statue of Abe Lincoln. And the the reason it's a big statue of Abe Lincoln is because it was because of his specific like a land grant to the states for the of creation of universities. And I'll let you yeah yeah it, yeah that's the the land grant universities. What I the one thing that I couldn't find a lot of is I couldn't find a lot of ghost stories as I moved west, where I guess the universities there would be quote-unquote younger. So that made me think that maybe it had something to do with the era those those universities were founded. And once you build a tradition of ghost stories and you build this idea that it's okay to tell a ghost story, then these ghost stories, you know, kind of pile up. And so the other thing you notice is that over time, the ghost stories change and somewhat reflect the era. So in the early, let's say the late 1800s, early 1900s, very traditional ghost stories, you know, suicide victims coming back to council, feuding um, roommates and things like that. But then over time in, in Penn State and some of the other schools there, they're like ghosts of axe murderers. And that ghost story might reflect some of the, you know, the slasher movies at Penn State, there was a, a poltergeist outbreak in one of the dorms. And that was a really interesting story for me because I remember the story when I was in school, which you know was probably uh, late 80s. I remember the story of this poltergeist outbreak. So I went through the records of the, the Collegian, which is the paper, the student paper here, trying to find, there was a story that, uh, as I recall, the... R.A. was in her room and the bed started to breathe in and out. She heard weird noises. Then the room kind of went crazy. The television came on and off. All the classical poltergeist entity movie type stuff. And she ran out into the hall. So I went back to try to find the original story because I could have sworn they quoted her. But I couldn't even find it. So I'm wondering whether I didn't, you know, fill in that information over time, too. But what I think now is that that story really reflects the movies of the era. And you'll see that, too, with with urban legends. Exactly right. You know, I think um, I don't know if we were talking about this either before the recording or after we started. But, you know, we, we mentioned the whole idea that there's that chain letter that goes around every year. Mm-hmm. about like you know around Halloween that says and you can find this on snopes.com or whatever but that, that you know that says that, that some psychic on Mori Povich or Geraldo Rivera or whatever is the popular talk show of the day yeah Gene Dixon when I was there <laughs> right Gene Dixon and you know I, then it was probably Miss Cleo in like the year 2000 yeah <laughs> but um so a psychic predicted that there will be a string of murders on a Big Ten campus uh, right. on, on Halloween this year. And if you know how people party on Halloween, number one, that satisfies the, uh, the you know, be careful when you go out part of the, of the urban legend, the, you know, you know, the watch out. Um, but also the idea of the serial killer. 
the idea of the mass murderer, like, you know, ghost stories, I think, when you get in the 1800s and the early 1900s, don't seem to be of the mass murderer variety. So mm-hmm. when you talk about the stories reflecting the time and the fascination with spiritualism that would happen when these stories were developed, you know, in the 1860, late 1860s, 1870s, you know, that kind of era... I I never had thought of it that, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons because, you know, it, when I looked at newspaper reports from Madison and they had like weird ghost stories in like the 18, 1880s, like there'd be stories of, um, you know, weird white phantoms roaming the dorms. Right. And then there would be a like a like some people in the school would stay up late. You know, there'd be a there there'd be posses hunting for these phantoms and things like that. You know, I can't imagine that today. You know, the idea that, you know, they'd be like, Oh, we saw a phantom in the hall, so we're gonna have yeah. people stay up and you know, today it would be have to be something much more related to a, you know, a current scare, something that would affect people uh, modernly. We had a phantom clown on campus two or three years ago and the campus literally went crazy but you know i think that's related to this whole clown fear and it and all of those things that are uh you know in the the mass consciousness so that's funny that you guys had a like a clown panic on campus yeah because I mean, they had, I mean, I think in Tennessee, when somebody reported a clown, like they, they closed the school down for the day. We didn't get that lucky, but. Yeah, because, right, because somebody said that, you know, they saw that and, um, and then people started playing into it too. People started dressing up like clowns and, and waiting up in, in the street and they were shooting a movie in Green Bay. Wisconsin called like Giggles the Clown or something like that. They were shooting a horror mm-hmm. movie. And so people were calling the police reporting to see this like killer clown in the street. And it's because they were shooting a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it really does relate um, to the fears at the time. And, you know, obviously it became one of the biggest horror or the biggest horror movie of all time, uh, at least box office wise, mm-hmm. uh, cashing in on that whole mad clown craze. So I wonder what the next one will be. Yeah. Hard to predict. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so you know, winding down last couple of uh, last couple of things. When when you were doing research for this particular book, uh, what was the most outlandish story you think you heard uh, when you were working on something, or you looked in the paper and you're like, I can't even believe this made the paper, or I can't, you know, was there was there something in there that like either was too crazy to put in the book or you're like, I got to put this in there because nobody's going to believe that this made the paper. There was, there was one story and I can't remember where it came from. I think it might have been, I should just blame it on Ohio state. You're from Wisconsin. I'm from Penn state. Let's just blame it on Ohio. I am happy to blame it on Ohio state, (laughs) but there was a story about a ghost that was shaped like a penguin. And I remember I couldn't find Anything out about it. So I usually try to have two or three sources that kind of cross-verify it, right? And this one was just so weird that I had to put it in. And to this day, I still debate, is this a case of, and I'm sure it's happened to me more than once, but a a case of what I think they call fake lore, that someone writes this just so that someone else picks it up as a real story or a real piece of ghost lore or a real piece of folklore. But this was, I think, in a fraternity house, which should have been a red flag right there. But 
the students said that they would hear this um, walking up and down the hall, and it sounded like flippers. And then there was this report of this ghost that looked like a penguin. So that was almost too crazy to pass up. And it did have elements of it. There's a ghost story on at Penn State about uh, uh, a woman who was the RA, and they could hear the squeak of her shoes, even though she died long ago. But I think that, again, was them making fun of the current RA. That's what I, I take from that. So that, that the Penguin Man was probably the weirdest one I, I put in the book. Okay. No, that's a... Uh... That's an interesting one. I, you know, I'll, I'll keep my eye out for Penguin Man. Uh, next okay. Time, next time I head out the, the Ohio direction, and I think you know, one final question. Uh, we're talking about these stories, and we're kind of talking about what connects them. And, and sometimes I find when I'm researching certain things or looking at old newspaper articles, there are things that freak me out a little bit, or you know, or freak me out to the point where I'm like, I, I have, uh, like, I don't want to read that story again. Or I almost don't want to retype it or, you know, find a way to put it into new words and or research it anymore because I find it too um, disturbing. Or, I, you know, I'm just like, oh, that's that's gross. I don't talk about it. Um, I had that happen in, in Minneapolis. Uh, there was there was a certain story. Um, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to give people a spoiler if they take the Minneapolis haunted uh, Minneapolis ghost walk um, from a, from a mill disaster they had in Minneapolis and where some people would see a ghost of a, a, a tornado of flesh, like a vortex of flesh spinning around um, with eyeballs and bones and hand, like body parts and stuff. And people, that is awesome. People reported seeing this, like this weird spinning vortex of flesh after uh, the mill explosion. Mm. And you know, just like trying to to write about it and think about it, kind of kind of weirded me out. So when you were when you were working on your book, um, what's something that uh, that might have weirded you out or, or, or creeped you out to the point where you're like, okay, this is making me uncomfortable. Like this is scaring the storyteller. So, first of all, full disclosure, I get creeped out pretty easily. Fair enough. Um, so, uh, but the one that sticks out to me is actually at Ohio University. And Ohio U- University is dubbed pretty much the most haunted campus in the United States. They usually get number one, and Penn State's usually around number two. Okay. But as I recall the story, and again, I could consult for these these universities. Don't buy a building that was an insane asylum. I would stay away from that. <laughs> uh, but uh, Ohio University did buy a a building and renovated it. And I think it's Wilson Hall. And if I'm remembering the story right, there was when it was a mental health facility, there was a woman who uh, got lost, quote unquote. And I'm sure by calling it a mental health facility, I'm being very generous back in the, back in the day. Right, right. And a, a torture chamber for people who were mentally ill. Apparently, she was found in a room. She had locked herself in a room and starved in that room and died. <sighs> and so on that room, and I forget what room number it is, there is a etching. There looks like a shadow of a person uh, that they can't get the stain out. It is in the shape of, a, you know, probably a, a young female. So writing that really creeped me out because I think it was based on 
something that happened, and it certainly sounded like something that could happen. No, I, I can see, uh, I can see whether it would bother you a bit. I mean, plus because it turns the tragedy of mental illness and the, um, you know, the way that we used to take care of mentally ill patients and stuff like that before we were able to figure it out. Uh, you know, it, it turns it into like a like a like a weird cautionary tale, or it, it exploits the fact that you know somebody was sick enough to starve themselves, and then now it becomes like a scary monster story. Right, and there are what you find a lot of times is with these stories, there are other variations, and the other variation is that she committed suicide. But the story, the part of the story that seems to go throughout those is this idea that there's a a stain on the floor that you can't get out and they've tried to get it out and they tried to paint over it and it just keeps on returning. All right. All right. Matthew, I really enjoyed talking about uh, haunted colleges today and you know, your research is great. If you guys check out the show notes, uh, you're going to be able to find a link directly to Matthew's book where you can pick up a copy for yourself. Now, what have you been working on lately, Matt? Is there any, is there a follow-up to haunted colleges or haunted rock and roll or uh, any, anything else in, uh, you know, coming up for the season of Matt? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to try to put out uh, self-publish a more haunted rock and roll. I absolutely loved writing that and I found a lot more material. So I'm going to do that sort of on my own. And then in the fall, just in time for season of Matt, everyone, I'm going to have a book out on uh, Haunted World War II. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, when you're getting ready to put that up, make sure you give us a call so we can talk about it on the air. Oh, I'd love to. I okay. really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. All right. Well, thanks again to Matthew. And once again, you can find links to his books and stuff like that at our show notes. And that's othersidepodcast.com. It's going to be slash 181. Now... Another thing you can find there, Wendy, is uh, we have obviously we have a song, and this week we're picking an older Sunspot song, but it's a college-related song. It's about having a crush on your TA, and I think this must be autobiographical because Wendy's like, I got a crush on my TA. I've got a song for everybody. <laughs> Who didn't have a crush on a TA at some point in college? Come on. It's- oh, you're absolutely right. All right, all right, you got me. Now, okay. Uh, so this particular video that we filmed for this song uh, was in a couple of different locations at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, number one, we filmed part of it in the Humanities Building. And Spooky. The, yeah, but the Humanities Building always had an urban legend that the architect of the Humanities Building, that um, they had built the building backwards. Yeah, that's right. They built it backwards, and he was so upset about it that he killed himself, and that his ghost Ooh. haunts the building. But that's not true at all. Like he didn't oh, kill himself. Yeah, good. no, he. he uh, I think he still. He may not be still alive, or he just recently passed away. But he lived to a ripe old age and designed buildings all over the country. Cool, like, cool. He also designed like several of the buildings in Washington D.C. for the uh, federal government. So uh, that urban legend was not true, and, and it's not haunted by him at least. Yeah. <laughs> Second, we also shot on Bascom Hill, uh, right next to Abe Lincoln. There's a big statue yep. of Abe Lincoln, and there's two bodies buried on Bascom Hill. And we didn't know that at the time of recording no, the video, so no, you know, but maybe they, we should look recheck that footage. Right. See, we, yeah, we do have like probably an hour footage of us like yeah. rolling around named Lincoln. And so there's two bodies buried on Bascom Hill, and they were two of the first settlers of the Madison area, two of the first European settlers of the Madison area. And there's even a little stones that say their initials. Wow. Up there, so possibly haunted. Well, there's is a haunted story of it. Actually, I found oh. a haunted story of it from like uh, somebody. From, it was a foreign, like it had to be translated, but somebody from like Korea came over to visit their sister who was going to the University of Wisconsin 
and she reported a ghost sighting on Baskin Hill and then went back to Korea and like put it in her blog. Wow. Yeah, she said that she saw like a, a, a weird face staring at oh, her from cool. behind Abe Lincoln. So that's got to be one of the stories on the uh, UW-Madison Absolutely. haunted there's a, tour. There's a right? UW-Madison haunted tour. And that on a walking tour. And that will start up again. If you like haunted college stories and want to learn more about the University of Wisconsin, you can check that out once the weather starts getting nicer in Wisconsin. That's going to be in April. And that'll be at madisonghostwalks.com. But without further ado, here's the track. Sunspot with more than my degree. One, two, three, four. I know you might see it, but this is more than math. And there's a certain number I'd like to discuss after class. I'm not nervous about this test, of all that problem says. A passing grade in this class is not what I hope to get. Was it just listening to today's episode you can find us online at othersidepodcast.com until next time see you on the other side before we sign off though we got to give a shout out to our man dr ned ned oh i bet he would love nam so much yeah he'd go crazy because i know he's a massive music fan yeah especially beatles and rolling stones and there's tons of like candid photos of the beatles and rolling yeah, stones here they have a lot of taking artwork and things a lot of memorabilia there's some of these booths are like museums yeah you know oh you know something we didn't talk about before we did see uh so people who listen to see another po- side podcast probably love the misfits uh, because they sing songs about paranormal themes and horror movies. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, we saw Doyle all dressed up from the Misfits yesterday, and uh, he was hanging out with his devil lock. And man, he's got to be in his 60s, and he looks great. I mean, yeah. under the white makeup, you can't tell, but he's like still buffing everything. Yeah. Like I'm just saying, if I'm in my 60s and I have arms like that, I will be a very pleased man. <laughs> Keep working out. Keep working out, everybody. Anyway, thank you very much, <laughs> Ned. Uh, for your support thanks he, Ned he's at the Patreon level where he gets a shout out in every single episode and we'd like to also thank our entire Patreon community yes of awesome people for helping keep See You on the Other Side podcast doing songs wonderful people and stories and things yeah. like that every single week so thank you very much for being awesome if you're interested in being awesome too you're not a Patreon member yet and you would like to be uh, a cool person a better person and a good human Check out OtherSidePodcast.com slash donate uh, where you can achieve Patreon immortality. We'll see you on the other side. See you back in Wisconsin. Laters. Wendy, Mike, uh,